1 Corinthians chapter 13. And we're only going to read one verse. We're going to read verse 11. That is our text this morning. So why don't we stand for the reading of God's word? The scripture reads here, When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. Father, I give thanks and praise to you for this time that we have to talk about an important matter, including this, what is presented here in the scripture about growing up, maturing, taking on responsibility, entering manhood, womanhood. Lord, I just ask and pray that you would use what's preached here today for good in the hearts and minds of the hearers, that they might think more correctly regarding your ways and your thoughts, and that we might more faithfully serve you in the earth. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Could be seated. The title of my sermon this morning is Kyle Rittenhouse and American Adolescence. Kyle Rittenhouse and American Adolescence. On Sunday, August 23rd, a man named Jacob Blake was shot in the back by a police officer in Kenosha, Wisconsin, when he disobeyed police orders, went into his car, and reached under the seat. The leftists, in good Marxist fashion, because Blake as a black man, decided to exploit the situation for their own political ends. Marxists are well known for taking an injustice or creating an injustice and using it for their own political ends, of using race to divide people and foment hysteria for their political purposes. I did a sermon taking their agenda to task and repudiated it with facts and statistics and sound reason. The title of that sermon is Police Brutality, Racism, and Leftist Thought, and you can listen to it at sermonaudio.com. And for those who don't know me, note also I have long pushed for reform of how police are trained and bad standard operating procedures being done away with. But this sermon is not about all that. This sermon is not about that. This sermon is about the adolescence of Americans. So listen on. After the shooting, the leftists and Marxists immediately came pouring into Kenosha from across the country in order to create mayhem and participate in destruction, looting, burning, and beatings. It's estimated that they did 50 to $60 million worth of damage. Some put it quite higher than that. The civil authorities, just like in other cities and states where this mayhem has been taking place, all stood down in Kenosha. They allowed the carnage to take place, protect the courthouse, and just shadow the rioters, the police were told. Lob in a few gas canisters here and there. But the robbing, looting, destruction, burning, and beatings were permitted to go on far and wide in Kenosha. We saw this right from the beginning with our governor here in Wisconsin, Tony Evers. He issued a statement on Sunday night just hours after the shooting took place and rioting had begun, essentially justifying the actions of those destroying Kenosha and also assuming the guilt of the police officer. 
Here's what Governor Evers issued on that Sunday night. Tonight, Jacob Blake was shot in the back multiple times in broad daylight in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Kathy and I join his family, friends, and neighbors in hoping earnestly that he will not succumb to his injuries. While we do not have all the details yet, that's an important point, while we do not have all the details yet, you think you would shut up and wait till you got more details, but no, he goes on with his leftist agenda. While we do not have all the details yet, what we know for certain is that he is not the first black man or person to have been shot or injured or mercilessly killed at the hands of individuals and law enforcement in our state or our country. We stand with all those who have and continue to demand justice, equity, and accountability for black lives in our country, lives like those of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Tony Robinson, Dontre Hamilton, Ernest Lacey, and Seville Smith. And we stand against excessive use of force and immediate escalation when engaging with black Wisconsinites. I guess it's okay if it's white Wisconsinites, because if you look at the statistics, this isn't a race issue. And again, listen to my sermon where I went through the statistics and the facts. He goes on to say and conclude, he says, I have said all along that although we must offer our empathy, equally important is our action. In the coming days, we will demand just that of elected officials in our state who have failed to recognize the racism in our state and our country for far too long, unquote. Here he is, a leftist, playing the leftist tune utterly despicable, clearly fanning the flames of violence, justifying violence and mayhem, parroting the leftist party line, and not only the governor, but also the mayor and police chief of Kenosha advocated the same, allowing the destruction and violence and standing down, as did the Kenosha County Sheriff and the district attorney, all bad magistrates, including our attorney general, all bad magistrates. Wicked men who should all be removed from office. This matter of them standing down, allowing wicked men to go on with their evil, goes to the Bible. The duty of the magistrates, the civil authorities, according to Romans 13, is to punish those who do evil and reward those who do good. When the civil authorities refuse to do their God-given duty and do not punish those who do evil... It encourages wicked men in their evil. It encourages wicked men to do more evil. And you can always count on that exactly being what happened. That's exactly what's happened here. As this violence is fomented around the country. By the way, what I just said to you about Romans 13, I was thrown off Facebook this week for saying exactly what I just said to you about Romans 13 and about the situation in Kenosha. Thrown off for three days. Defy Tyrants, USA, one of our Facebook pages, under threat of being removed by Facebook. The second night, even more burning and destruction, that Monday night, the 24th, and looting and beatings and mayhem took place. And after two nights, the leftists had made Kenosha look like Beirut or Kosovo. And if you've been down there, you know what I'm talking about. Much of the media covers it up, the extensiveness of the violence and destruction. 
The civil authorities stood back two nights in a row and allowed all the destruction. This is a classic Marxist tactic called pressure from below and pressure from above. Pressure from below is from the individual leftists who are out on the streets creating violence and mayhem. Pressure from above is the magistrates, the government officials who tolerate it, allow it, justify it, and do nothing to stop it, do not suppress it. It is meant to put pressure on the citizen in between these two, pressure from below, pressure from above, so that the citizens will then capitulate to leftist rule. That's their goal. And the leftists have successfully used this tactic in nations around the world, and it usually works in nations where the citizenry are weak. And we have a weak citizenry here in America. By the third night, the citizens were beside themselves over the lack of response by the authorities. The fact that they were permitting it all, allowing it all, aiding and abetting it all, justifying it all. They were beside themselves. The authorities were not doing their God-given role, function, and duty. Governor Evers, by the third night, activated a whole 125 National Guardsmen. A laughable response. And they, too, were told to simply shadow the rioters. Do not suppress their evil. Just shadow them. Don't stop them. There was also a call from businessmen on that third day and citizens for people to come and help protect their property and persons from destruction by these lawless mobs. Kyle Rittenhouse, a 17-year-old from Antioch, Illinois, which is located about 20 miles from Kenosha, was one of over 200 armed citizens who responded to the call to help their fellow citizens there in Kenosha. He arrived earlier in the day, before evening, to Kenosha and helped clean up messes and remove spray-painted graffiti off of buildings, all done by the leftists. He came with his medical stuff in order to help anyone who might be injured that night. And he also obtained a gun and went to protect a business with a group of armed citizens. What happened next is well known. Kyle was attacked by a group of thugs and defended his life. That's what happened. Two men who were attacking him were killed, and another, who also was armed, was shot. The video is clear that Kyle acted in defense of his life, a clear case of self-defense. He showed incredible restraint and coolness of mind in the midst of the situation. Your average American can't appreciate that because he's lived his whole life in his self-absorbed selfishness in his little hovel of a house and has never been out on the streets, has never encountered wicked men ever in his life. This young man showed incredible restraint and coolness in the situation he found himself. Now, I do not have time, nor is it the point of the sermon, to go over and establish all that via video evidence, but it is astonishing how well that young man, that young man did in that situation. Astonishing. But Wisconsin civil authorities have decided, rather than to extol him for his restraint and good behavior, to charge him with murder 
and a group of other crimes. And I'm here from this pulpit to say, that's evil. It's wicked. And this pulpit will not be silent regarding it. These are the worst of magistrates, lawless government officials who should all, from the governor to the district attorney, be removed from office. This is an attack upon our God-given right and constitutionally and statutorily recognized right to defend ourselves and others. This is an attack upon our liberties, which men fought, bled, and died for us to possess. Them charging Kyle with this is an attack upon those liberties. I plan to do a follow-up sermon next week to this one about Kyle, where I will go over these matters more vigorously. Well, I will show you from the Word of God where the right to life comes from, where the right to self-defense and defense of others comes from. Because though there are a sizable number of Americans who understand that that is a right, and they'll say it's a God-given right, most don't know how to demonstrate that from the Word of God. But for this sermon... I want to address the hue and cry of certain persons who have whined about a 17-year-old having a gun. How did a 17-year-old get a gun? He is too young to be running around with a gun. No one his age should have a gun. And on and on they go. I want to address this childish gibberish this inane talk, this ignorance of history. History is loaded with examples of young men under the age of 18 fighting battles, using guns and swords. Thousands under the age of 18 fought in World War II, the youngest being 12 years old. He was injured in battle and received the Bronze Star and a Purple Heart. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of young men under the age of 18 also fought in World War I. During the Civil War, historians estimate that over 100,000 of the northern soldiers were 16 years of age or younger. The South was estimated to be even higher. In total, those under 17 years of age were estimated to be between 250 to 400,000 soldiers. The youngest soldier on the Confederate side was 11. The youngest Union soldier was 12, and he was noted in history books for his bravery on the field of battle. And no, these were not drummer boys. David Farragut fought during the Battle of 1812 at the age of 12 years old. He was part of the crew of the USS Essex and participated in the capture of the British ship HMS Alert on August 13, 1812. He was given the task of bringing the Alert into port. He was put in charge of that task, bringing that captured ship into port. Two years later, he was wounded and captured by the British while serving on the Essex. Farragut later became a Civil War hero and worked his way all the way up to Admiral in the United States Navy. And we could go on and on for hours about such history, and not just regarding young men and military history, but other matters also where young men under the age of 18 shined and stunned, showed responsibility, maturity, respect, decency, initiative, 
strength of heart, strength of mind. The Roman army allowed young men to enlist at age 16. The Roman army. This has been long through history. Men under 18 with guns, with swords. My own father-in-law entered the U.S. Army in 1956 at the age of 16 after escaping from the Soviets in Hungary. Today, right now, today, right now, you can join the U.S. Army at age 17. The same age Kyle is. Age 17. So much for no one that age should have a gun. The Bible speaks of these things also. David is considered by many scholars to have been between 14 and 16 years of age when he slew Goliath. Joseph was 17 when he was sold into slavery. Jeremiah was 17 when he was called into his prophetic ministry. Daniel and the three Hebrew children were estimated to be between 14 and 17 when they were taken captive to Babylon. Tradition says that Timothy was converted to Christ at age 16. He traveled with Paul and Silas on the second missionary journey when he was 21. And Paul later wrote to him and said, Let no man despise your youth. There's been much that's been accomplished by young men under the age of 18, down through history. And many have picked up guns and swords and done valiantly. Now listen to me. I submit to you, the only reason you have dopes running around saying how awful it is that a 17-year-old has a gun in his hand is because we live in a culture that wants to keep young people perpetually adolescent. That's why. The people crying about Kyle tend to be the same crowd that screams against minor females needing their parents' permission to abort their child. They believe a female should be able to murder her own son or daughter. Murder their own son or daughter at 17, 16, 15, 14, or younger. But it's just horrendous that Kyle has a gun. Hypocrites. It is my contention that America breeds perpetual adolescence amongst its people. We are a nation of people that refuses to grow up. And it's disturbing to watch. Our text here, 1 Corinthians 13, 11, states, When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. We have a nation of people who doesn't want to put away childish things, consumed with their sports, consumed with their nonsense, their video gaming, and all the other stuff. In our text... Paul is referring to a natural phenomenon to make a spiritual application. It's natural to grow up, to become mature, to no longer act and think like a child, to put those things away and embrace responsibility, maturity, manhood, womanhood. And so it should be when it comes to spiritual matters, is Paul's point. In America, however, not only is spiritual immaturity a problem, but natural immaturity is a problem. We have a nation of people who just don't want to grow up. They like irresponsibility. They like childish nonsense. We even have a Chuck E. Cheese for grown-ups called Dave and Busters. We don't want to grow up. We'll just create an adult version of Chuck E. 
We live in a society that never lets young men and women grow up and mature, that wants young people capped in perpetual adolescence, pushed down, a nation hell-bent on keeping young people in this no-man's land between childhood and adulthood. I often take my children with me out on the universities to declare the truth of God's law and word and great salvation to the inhabitants there. And think, a thing I experience repeatedly is college students coming up to me and saying that your kids shouldn't be out here. You're robbing them of their childhood. They should be having fun somewhere. They shouldn't be here. They should be playing video games or ball somewhere. You're robbing them of their childhood. And I respond by saying this was actually teaching, this is actually teaching them to be mature and to take on responsibility. Remember one time we got on an elevator down at the courthouse. I was with my son Josh, who was only 10 years old at the time. And then I believe Sarah was there too, was 11 at the time. And the elevator goes up and these two officers are standing there and the one officer says, why aren't you kids in school today? And um, one of them said, we homeschool. And he goes, well, homeschool? You're not at home, so what are you learning? And I looked at him and I said to him, I said, they're learning how to file a brief with the court. And I said, I bet they're the only 10 and 11-year-old in all of Milwaukee that know how to file a brief with the court. And the other cop elbowed that cop in the gut and said, he got you. We live in a nation that doesn't want young people to mature, to grow up. They want to keep them perpetually adolescent like little children. Like little children. Our culture trains young people in perpetual adolescence so that they never mature, act responsible, they never grow up. And that is why, for example, 30-something-year-olds are still commonly living with their parents today. Perpetual adolescence breeds conformity and kills the desire to mature, take on responsibility, expand one's worldview, and prepare for manhood and womanhood. I remember one time when my sons, Jeremiah and Crispin, we have 11 kids, as you know, lots of businesses started over the years. They started a window washing business. And we went to this nice neighborhood over in Heartland. Big homes, like their garages, had as much square footage as my whole house. Me and Clara dropped them off. They were 15 and 17 years old. They began to do the house. We go around the block to leave. We'll be back in four hours, five hours, whatever it was. And there's a garage sale sign. If you know anything about my wife, Clara, garage sale sign, we're stopping. So anyways, I go to a garage sale. All I see is junk. Clara always seems to find some great item. So we're in there, and Claire's looking for that great item, and I'm roaming around thinking, oh, brother, I'm at a garage sale. So I strike up a conversation with the lady doing the garage sale. I go, yeah, my our 15- and 17-year-old started a little window washing business, and uh, we dropped him off around the block. They're doing your neighbor's house. And the lady's astonished. She goes, you know a 15- and 17-year-old that'll work? <laughs> and I looked at her, and I said, yeah. And she said to me, well, let me tell you, I have a 16-year-old, and he never works. And none of his friends ever work. They just sit around playing video games all day, just fun and games, fun and games. 
So as we're talking, all of a sudden this guy who was at the garage sale too comes walking over and he walks up to me and he says, excuse me, but did I hear you say that your 15 and 17-year-olds started a window washing business? And I said, yeah. And he looked at me and he said, well, I just want you to know that I think you're an irresponsible parent. And he spent the next two minutes dressing me down about how I'm robbing them of their childhood. So when he finally took a breath after two minutes of nonstop dressing me down, I've learned in those situations it's good to ask a question. So I looked at him and I said to him, do you know how old the youngest Pony Express rider was? And you could see it all over his face. Like, what does that have to do with anything I'm talking about, right? And finally he said, no, I don't. And I said, he was 11. And many of them were 13. I said, could you imagine how many federal laws they would be violating today? And then I went into my two-minute speech about how we keep young men perpetually adolescent, never let them risk, achieve, contribute to the economy of the home, their family, and the society. And literally, while I'm talking, the ladies behind the man with both of her thumbs up like this, the biggest smile on her face, and that's when I realized this is this woman's husband. Yeah. And that's when I realized at that point why your 16-year-old son doesn't work. (laughs) All right? By the way, note this. There's a lot to learn about Pony Express riders. I did a little study about Pony Express riders yesterday. They didn't carry mail pouches. They carried a knapsack on their back. They didn't carry cowboy hats. They actually had a skull cap. You know, they're riding a horse at a fast rate of speed. Yeah, makes sense. Skullcap. You know what the two items they had to have with them by the standards set by the Pony Express? Two things they had to have with them besides that knapsack of mail and telegrams. These two things were, number one, the Bible. And number two, a gun. A Bible and a gun. Eleven years old, thirteen years old, many of them were. Do you see what we've done to young people? Send them off to secondary education. There's no need for that. By the time you're 13, 14 years old, go into a trade. If you're going to college, go to college. Most men 200 years ago, they're done at college at 18 years old. Now they're just going to college at 18 years old, and it goes on for four years. It's just a party deal. Bunch of nonsense. And the little dogs who run society make everybody think they need that piece of paper. To be anything, you need that piece of paper. Baloney. You don't. You need Christ. You need family. You need others. You don't need the education industry in this country that are overpaid and overfed. American society never allows young people to grow up to risk, to achieve, to use their unique gifts for the good of society. Rather, it kills independent thought and individualism. It kills creativity and self-initiative. The desire for wealth and ease in our nation perpetuates adolescence. A fiat money system and fractional reserve banking system has brought wealth beyond man's wildest dreams. It will all one day collapse. And with it, as is always the case when it comes to luxury and ease, just read history, comes the effeminization of men. 
And our society is full of that. It makes men immature and irresponsible. Parents allow their children to become adult dependents as seen by the many 20 and 30-something still living with mom and dad. There's something about economic instability that breeds responsibility in people, helps them to mature. We could use a good depression or war or famine in America. It would change the character of our people. Men would become men again. Women become women. All this effeminization nonsense goes by the wayside. Our economic situation in America perpetuates adolescence because wealth provides people opportunity to act irresponsibly and never grow up. Our culture tries to remake men into not men. It tries to effeminize them. Our culture lauds egalitarianism so that people think there are no differences, functions, or roles between men and women. Young men are therefore confused. In fact, we've reached a point where all men in America are confused. The truth is, perpetual adolescence is not just a problem with young people. We have an entire nation that doesn't want to grow up on our hands. Older people spend multi-hundreds of billions on cosmetics each year to look young. They work out incessantly to try to still look young. Others are consumed with sports. Others want cars or motorcycles to help keep them young. Maturity, responsibility, manhood, womanhood are not virtues sought out by or seen in the American people any longer. Rather, immaturity, irresponsibility, and adolescence are the norm of most Americans. Because of this, the virtues of commitment, faithfulness, devotion, loyalty, all suffer and are increasingly a surprise to see when demonstrated by someone. And this is why we have a people who denounce a good young man named Kyle Rittenhouse. They call him a murderer. They accuse him of many disgraceful things and make up lies about him who say how awful it is that he had a gun. It's because we live in a nation of childish, immature adolescents who have never grown up, who couldn't think their way out of a crackerjack box. And that is why we have government officials trying to demonize a good young man who should be honored and extolled as an example to other young men. A young man who has shown respect, honor, Initiative, maturity. Instead, the civil authorities are attacking and demonizing him. By the way, the officers thanked those, including Kyle, who were out there that night with their guns. Those officers, the rank-and-file ones, inherently knew it was wrong that those above them were ordering them to stand down and just allow all the evil that was being done. That night changed how the authorities responded after that. Many of the leftists left the city after that night, and the government officials cracked down the next night and suppressed the wickedness because 200-some citizens with guns went to the streets to do what the magistrates weren't doing. The Kenosha sheriff, by the way, refused to deputize citizens to help keep the peace, 
He has helped demonize Kyle. He was one of those government officials that went along and promoted the stand-down thinking. They're all leftist swine. The Kenosha sheriff is a dope, and all good men know it. And it bothers us. It bothers me. And it bothers me that it doesn't bother more people. When you see wicked men like that in office. And they should all be removed. Some say rioting doesn't accomplish anything. Some of the leftists, their little entertainers started saying that now. Oh, we should stop the rioting. It doesn't accomplish anything. Wrong! It does. It blackmails a city into prosecuting good men and allowing evil men to walk off scot-free or with a hand slap punishment. That's what it does. Because you have weak magistrates who aren't doing their duty and instead are aiding and abetting evil leftists, wicked Marxists, bad men. The pulpits in Kenosha should be thundering against all this. Instead, many of the pulpits there, as in many pulpits in America, are advocating the leftist line, singing the leftist tune, or sitting there indifferent to it all in good American Christian fashion, silent, pretending like that, nothing's happening around me. Going on with their little religious fantasy land. The pulpits across America should be thundering against this evil. And this pulpit will. And they should be teaching men and women what their role, function, and duty is as revealed by the Word of God. Our text here says, But when I became a man, I put away childish things. May each of us do exactly that. May Christ be praised. May he be praised. Stand up and we'll close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you and praise you that we had this time to talk about this important matter, this shot heard round the world, this shot seen round the world, oh God. And to talk about this young man. And to talk about the state of our nation and the state of its people and the state of the pulpits and the state of Christianity. Lord, may we live our lives right before you. May we make our lives count. May we rally with good men. May we not be silent when we see others being treated wrongly like Kyle is. But may we speak up, speak out, take action, O God prostrate ourselves on the ground before you and cry out to you in prayer. Make known your ways, your thoughts from your word and your law regarding manhood, womanhood. What's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's evil. O Lord, move in our hearts. Build your kingdom within us. May we be your faithful ambassadors in the earth making known your law, word, and salvation to men. May we not keep it to ourselves. We know your word speaks to all matters of life. And may we speak to the people regarding all things you have to say, discipling the nations, O God. We praise you. We thank you. 
We rejoice in you that you redeemed us, that you brought us out of a life of nothing, of sin and mire, of misdeeds and evil, and that you alone, by the power of your Holy Spirit, transformed our lives, making us new creatures. And Lord, we know you didn't just save us from something, but you also saved us for something, namely to glorify you in the earth glorify you in the earth with our lives, with our thoughts, with our words, with our deeds. Be glorified, we ask, O Lord, through our lives. Show us how to glorify you. As we read your word, we learn how to glorify you. And may, O Lord, may we do right by you with the days you've allotted us here on earth. May we not squander them, but may we live our lives to bring glory to you. We thank and we praise you, O God, for your goodness to us and to our homes. We pray for Kyle that you be with him right now while he's sitting there in jail. Minister to him. Lord, if he does not know you, bring Christian folk his way that he would come to know you. Blessed is your holy name, Father. Praise your holy name. Guide all that's going on with that, O Lord. You see how the eyes of the nation, the eyes of the world are upon this situation right here in our state. We thank you, O God. We thank you and we weep before you. We are overtaken by your goodness to us, O God, your kindness. We desire to live our lives for you. Teach us to do that, O Lord. Be glorified, I pray, through each one here. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. May Christ be praised. You can be seated. And I don't know if we're doing communion this week. I don't think we are, right? We're not doing communion this week. And so I, so why don't we um, stand up again and we'll close in prayer. Hallelujah, Father. Lord, we do pray for the young people in this church. And we do ask and pray, O oh God, that they would have a mighty hunger for you. That they would have a great desire for you. To make their lives count for you. I pray that each young person here has a desire to seek your face. From a young age, O oh God, to know what you would have for them. For what you would have for them to do in the earth, O oh God by the power of your Holy Spirit. Praise your holy name. Help each man here to be a priest to his home, Father, to do right by you, to open your word to his wife and to his children, to speak about the things of you as a family. Help each woman, O oh God, to be a helpmate to her husband, to be an anchor in the home, a nurturer of the children and grandchildren, Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that you have preserved your word so that we know how to live as Christian men and Christian women. That is a goodness to us, O oh God. Because if we were left to our own devices without objective truth like your word, I can only imagine what insanity man would concoct in all his religious machinations. Lord, I just ask and pray that you would be glorified through each one here by the power of your Holy Spirit and keep our hearts hungry for you. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. May Christ be praised.